0: Good morning. Oh, no. <laughs> Did you catch that? I was really trying hard, like Arminy said. We'll finally get it right, and then we'll move back to mornings. Um, as Andy said quite correctly, uh, my name is Gunter, if we haven't had the chance to meet before. Uh, I'm part of the pastoral care team here uh, at BCV. And we, we are continuing our series on, on Mark's gospel this morning, and we come to a passage uh, that contains this very well-known phrase where, where someone says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love that. I just, I love that phrase uh, because belief and unbelief or, or faith and doubt are an interesting thing. We often feel, I think, uh, that, that faith should operate on a sort of a steadily operating curve. You know, just the longer you're alive and the longer you are a believer, then just the greater your faith becomes. I might be strange. But my personal experience is not that. uh, Because life's not like that, is it? It's not a steady upward curve. It has ups and downs. Over the past few years, through uh, just sort of a combination of the pandemic and how sort of disorientating that was for a lot of us, uh, and then also I just think some sort of natural midlife questions as I steadily approach 50, which I'm still in great denial about, um, I've I've found myself questioning my faith in, in ways that I just would never have anticipated. And I strongly suspect that I'm, I'm not alone, uh, and for you it might be related to, to similar reasons or something completely, completely different. I think it's just natural that at different times and different ways for each of us, we will have this conversation within ourselves with faith and doubt. Uh, and so it's just a real privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning on this subject and to be able to speak uh, about this passage, which I think uh, is incredibly uh, encouraging and then helpful to us. So let's take a look. I'm just trying to neatly avoid the squeaky spots, so I'm going to step back a minute. Um, incidentally, hi, if you're listening online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're just so delighted to have you. Um, so this is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 32. A bit of context first. So, you may recall last week, if you, if you uh, were here for that talk, immediately preceding this passage, and, and Alan was talking about this last Sunday, was the Transfiguration, where Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his closest friends, uh, Peter, James, and John. And in front of him, he is, well, he is transfigured. He, he, he becomes glowing white, he's, he's, his clothes are glowing white. Uh, and then uh, Elijah and Moses show up, who have both been dead for about a millennium each. And uh, They're talking to him, and then just to kind of cap everything off, this audible voice from heaven speaks and says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Uh, so it's, it's an amazing high point in Mark's gospel. It's, it's a literal mountaintop experience. If anything meets that definition, here it is. And so afterwards, Peter, James, and John head back down the mountain with Jesus, and here's, here's what they find. When they came to the other disciples, so those who hadn't gone up the mountain with Jesus... They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So, you know, talk about coming back to reality with a bang. Here we are again, with big, noisy crowds, and, and everybody, you know, arguing, and you know, religious leaders picking a fight, and, and the other disciples on the defensive. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, though, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher... I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. Now I do love this passage, but that is honestly the bit that almost caused me to say no to Andy when he asked me if I would preach on it. I would have done very politely, of course, Um, because it's hard to read. You know, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's just heartbreaking. As a father, it is the most excruciating thing in my life to see my daughter go through something distressing that I can't help or I can't fix it. It's just, it's awful. And I'm sure any parents here will, you know, that'll resonate with you. I just can't imagine the pain of this father having seen his son go through that day after day, after week, after month, after year for most of his life. And, you know, he would give anything to stop it, but he can't. It's just, it's just terrible. It's, a, it's also a dif- difficult passage, I think, because it's hard to know exactly what to do with it, And that the symptoms that the Father describes sound for all the world like epilepsy. In fact, Matthew, in his account of the same event, calls it epilepsy, as well as referencing an evil spirit. So, you know, wouldn't it perhaps be best, from our 21st century perspective, and our understanding of illness and how things work, to, to see this not as a, as a spiritual thing, but rather as something physiological. I guess what I'd say is it's clearly true that many ailments are, indeed, uh, physical, or in some instances, you know psychological or, or, or emotional, rather than spiritual, which is why modern medicine and uh, mental health care and emotional health it's so important and such a blessing to have. It is also true, though, I, I would propose, that sometimes a condition is spiritual and it's root. Which, you know, might feel really strange to hear somebody actually say out loud. You know, you might be thinking, really? I mean, do you, do you people really still believe in, a, in that kind of thing? Like there's an actual literal devil with a you know, pitchfork and his minions out causing havoc. You know, don't you, don't you know that we live in an enlightened period of science and forensic diagnosis and, and care? Uh, and I do. I do. In fact, my, my brother is a scientist, my sister is a trained medical professional. I'm an accountant, which isn't very scientific, but it's kind of logical. You know, I love spreadsheets. So. Um, but it is also my, first, my genuine first-hand experience, and I would say from speaking to them, my, my brother and my sister's first-hand experience as well, because they're both followers of Jesus, that as you look around the world and you just see some of the stuff happening in it, you know, you just, you just look at the news, and, and some of the things we experience day to day in our own lives, or just sometimes you just kind of have a look at the things lurking in your own heart it's clear there really is such a thing as evil. And Scripture tells us that evil is is deeply personal. It's not just a thing. It's very personal. It has a source, Satan, whose goal is to pervert and to destroy every good thing that God has ever made, including, and most of all, you and I, God's greatest creation in our lives. And so Mark tells us, you know, that there's something of that at work here, some sort of demonic power. But to the crowd's disappointment, and I'm sure to the disciples' disappointment as well, they, they haven't been able to, to, to help, to cast it out. Um, and then it all just sort of descends in, into chaos and bickering as the religious leaders who have just been dreaming of a moment like this when finally Jesus or his followers would fall on their face and just, you know, fail and and be embarrassed, where they can just dive right in and start arguing and probably taunting them. And, you know, the, the, the crowd kind of pitches in as well. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Which might feel like a bit of a dig at the poor disciples who've just you know, tried their best, uh, Or even worse, some sort of comment on the Father. Uh, but it's not. He's talking largely to the crowd and specifically to the religious leaders. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Again, just a, just a horrible thing for this poor father to have to, to have to experience yet again. But not for the first time. We're seeing that when evil comes into direct contact with Jesus, the Son of God, there's a reaction. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Which is another well-known phrase, of course, from this passage, and it sounds great. But what does it actually mean? You know, does it mean that if you just have enough faith, or if you just have the right kind of faith, the right quality or sort of quantity of faith, then anything that you want will happen. I suppose it sounds kind of reasonable-ish. But that's not exactly much comfort to this father, is it? He has barely any faith at all. And 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 if that's what it did mean, then why couldn't the disciples, who I would argue, were probably the most faith-filled people ever in the history of humanity? Because they spent three years with Jesus. They got to see everything he did. They were there, they participated, they went out and did stuff. And why can't they just then cast out this one demon? Because that's actually not what Jesus is saying at all. You know, if you just believe enough, then good stuff will happen. And instead he's describing what faith, any kind of faith, large or small, looks like. He's saying faith is trusting with everything that you have, even if that everything seems like nothing at all. Trusting with with that, with all that you have in Jesus. That he, and not you, can do anything. Everything is possible to he or she who believes. Whether the amount you believe is a a little or a lot. It's all about who you're choosing to trust in. And immediately the the boy's father exclaimed, he says, I I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. You know, I, I wish my faith was more. Help me to have more, but whatever I do have right now, I put it in you. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, not wanting to make a big spectacle, he rebuked the, the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed and violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And we don't actually get to see what happens next, but the clear implication is, but he's completely healed. He's been completely liberated. And, and where a moment ago there was only despair and, and hopelessness and confusion and grief for the Father, now there's relief, there's joy, uh, there's, there's amazement, there's gratitude. Now after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? You know, understandably, they'd like to know. And he replies, well, this kind can, can come out only by prayer, which is interesting, because you'll notice that Jesus doesn't actually pray in this passage at all so it's not as if there's some sort of special words or you know secret prayer technique that Jesus knows and and they don't instead he's talking about everything that came before this moment throughout Mark's Gospel we've we've seen a number of instances where where Jesus has come away alone in between times of ministry to just be with his father to just spend time with God in his presence to talk to him and so that's this clearly Uh, some sort of connection here between that and what's just happened. We'll we'll come back to that again in a minute. They left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Uh, So they need to go through Galilee to to get to their next destination. In fact, their final destination, uh, Jerusalem. But Galilee is also where Jesus has done a lot of his ministry, so it's really well known. And just right now, he really wants to trying to avoid a crowd and drawing attention, because he really needs to focus on training his disciples. He really needs to teach them, to prepare them for what's about to come. In fact, he starts right away. He says to them, The Son of Man, so referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. So this is the, the second of three occasions in, in Mark's Gospel where, where Jesus predicts his death. The first was just in the previous chapter, uh, in chapter 8. Andy spoke about that two weeks ago. I had a really nice bit that I wanted to say here about what it all means, why they didn't understand. I'm just going to refer you back to Andy's talk. <laughs> he, he covered it so well. And for today, I really I just want to focus on two things. The first is this thing that Jesus says about prayer. I said we'd come back to that. I'm really struck by how when he talks about the importance of prayer in what it is that he's just done, he's not referring to any special words or technique of prayer in that moment, but rather to a lifestyle of prayer where he regularly comes away with his Father, with God alone. And I'm I'm really intrigued by that link between authority and intimacy. That there's an authority that only can come from intimacy with God. And I was thinking that through this week, and kind of an image came to mind that was really helpful to me, and so I hope it'll be helpful to you. Imagine being sent out by somebody whom you respect to represent them. If you've only ever really spent a little bit of time in their company, you know, in, in their presence and, and kind of getting to know them. It'll be an honor to represent them, for sure, but you're going to have a hard job convincing yourself, let alone anybody else, that you truly speak with authority for them. But conversely, if you've spent quality time with them, You can genuinely say you've forged a connection, a relationship, maybe even a friendship with them. You've come to understand kind of who they are, you know, what they're about, and and you you carry something of the heart of what they're about. Then there's going to be an inherent confidence and authority that will just be immediately evident, that you really do speak for them and that you carry their delegated authority. I'm still ruminating on that, to be honest. Uh, I feel there are some pretty big implications for my own life in terms of how I approach carrying God's presence uh, and His perspective and His authority into just every aspect of the life that He's given me to live. I think I may have to come back and just do a different talk on that sometime once I've had a chance to actually walk it out. But for now, I just want to leave us kind of with this compelling idea that that there is an authority, that there is an influence, that there is a weight that comes from intimacy with God. Second thing I want to focus on, and this, this in a way really is the main kind of theme of, of this, this passage, is, is how it portrays doubt, how it portrays unbelief. We, we do, like, like I said earlier, I suspect, often feel that doubt is bad that we shouldn't have it. And if we do, then we shouldn't acknowledge it because that might somehow legitimize it. I believe, though, that Mark and Jesus show us in this passage it's absolutely normal to have doubt. It's okay to have doubt. And that doubt doesn't limit Jesus. In fact, he's only asked of us is that we would place whatever faith we do have, whether that that happens to be large or small at this particular moment, that we would place it in him, the one who is able, regardless how our faith looks right now, to do all things. So how do we do that then practically? How do we sort of simultaneously embrace or at least acknowledge our doubt, but then also place whatever belief we do have in Jesus. From my own very recent experience, here's, here's a few things that help. One is being honest with ourselves and with God about our doubts. Even to the point of really acknowledging that that thing that you doubt, whether that's you know, something God has said to you in the past, it's how He feels about you, His unconditional love for you, even His very existence, or something else, acknowledging that that thing that you doubt may actually not be real at all that your doubts might be true which might sound like a very drastic uh, course of action uh, and maybe even dangerous or sacrilegious but you know Jesus can handle it more than that he loves to hear what's really going on with us that's what makes the christian life a relationship not just a set of beliefs or behaviors or practices. And we, we need to be genuinely honest for our own sakes as well. It's only in that moment that we can truly process what it is that we're feeling rather than just kind of sweep it under the rug, hope it'll go away. But it never really does. It just kind of waits around for another, another day. And it's in that moment of vulnerability where, where we are, are opening ourselves up to God and even to ourselves that he can then meet us where we are, not where we aren't or think we should be, but he can meet us where we are and he can, he can actually talk to us and, and reassure us. So that's the first thing, is just being honest. Another thing that I found pivotal is to, to even as you're being honest, Keep holding on with whatever you've got. The 19th century American evangelist Dwight Moody described a life of faith as a bit like being on an ocean in a boat. Sometimes you're sitting inside the boat comfortably and it's fantastic. You can enjoy the scenery, you can even help other people into the boat and it's just just wonderful. Other times though, the storms blow, you're tossed about, maybe you're even thrown overboard and all you can do is hold on to the side for dear life, just clinging on. And if that's where you find yourself right now, or if you find yourself there sometime in the future, just keep holding on with whatever you have. Even if it feels like a fingernail. Eventually, and especially if we do allow ourselves to be honest with God and with ourselves, things will get better, and we will find ourselves back in the boat. But for now, just keep holding on. And then the last thing I found to be key is to also, after some time, try to find some way of pressing in, of finding something more, of trying to, as it were, get back into the boat. And by that, I don't mean being inauthentic, you know, saying or doing things you don't even know if you believe them right now. But instead, all I mean is placing yourself in environments or or trying some things that could connect you to God or that maybe have done so in the past. So whether that's, you know, investing in a strong Christian friendship where you can just share honestly with someone and be encouraged by them or, you know, just trying meditating on scripture or or experiencing God out in nature or just trying to sit quietly in his presence. Reading wise and, and helpful writing about the thing that you're struggling with or something else. Just trying to find something. My own kind of go-to in this area is uh, when I'm really struggling is worship, which is kind of counterintuitive because let's face it, when you feel, blah, it's a very theological word, (laughs) or you're filled with doubt, or you're struggling or disconnected, the last thing you feel you want to do or that would somehow be authentic is worship. But for me, there's just something about expressing or or having the words somebody else has written help me express these deep truths about God and to God. That even as I'm wrestling with how I feel about Him, or if He's even there, those words, they resonate with my soul. And I just find myself inevitably drawn closer to Him and encountering Him in a way I wouldn't have if I just held back and allowed myself to do nothing. And you know, it might be something else for you, but just finding something, some way, anything. So that even as you are being completely honest and you are just barely holding on, you're also trying to find something, some way, to press in. My experience is, as we do that, we'll continue to have doubts. We'll continue to have struggles and questions. But as we're honest, and we do keep holding on, also trying to find a way to press in, rather than shame, or or guilt, or, or ignoring how we feel to only one day wake up and discover everything we've ever pushed to the side is now waiting at the door to completely overwhelm us, we'll actually find great relief in not having to pretend and also real healing and growth as we genuinely wrestle things through with God and with ourselves and with others. And we'll find, kind of in the midst of that, the greatest treasure of all. Deep, authentic, raw conversation and connection with the one whom we really do want to believe. And who remains with us, and for us, and He helps us with our unbelief. Could I invite you to stand, please? Love to just pray for us before we finish. Lord, I want to thank you for this passage. Um, thank you for for showing us that it is absolutely okay and normal to have doubt, and that that doesn't limit you. And that, in fact, your only ask of us is that we would place whatever faith we do have in you. The one who is able to do all things. We confess, though, that it's hard. So would you help us, please? Help us, by your Holy Spirit, to be honest with you and with ourselves. Help us to keep holding on. And help us to also press in. I just want to be quiet for a moment, just kind of give us a bit of space to think, um, and also just give God the opportunity to come and speak re- speak directly to each of us, whether that's about this or anything else. Jesus, we invite you by your Holy Spirit. Come speak to each one of us, share your heart, share your mind for each of us personally. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. We just ask for more. That's what we came here for, to encounter you. We ask for more. Would you break through the cold, break through our many, many other thoughts, just come and connect deeply with our hearts and our minds and our souls. Um, as I was speaking, I just really got a sense that that bit about keep holding on, just keep holding on, was something that really resonated with, with several people. And your feeling is, I've been doing that. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing it. Um, and I just kind of felt echoing what, what Harmony was saying worship. I just felt God wants, to, wants you to know He sees you, and he, and, he, and he wants to say, Well done. You know, He doesn't take it for granted that you've kept holding on and he wants you to know he loves you and I just want to pray for you right now if that is you Lord for those of us who are kind of at the end of our tether of holding on you you know that would you come and just meet us now just fill us in the deepest recesses of our hearts and minds with an assurance of your love that you're there that you care and just come and renew our strength. I also felt an invitation, if you have been kind of toying with the idea of belief in Jesus, but you, you really felt like you need to reach a certain level of belief first, I just kind of felt like today might have turned that a wee bit on its head, which is that there's always room for doubt. And actually that inclination you felt to step in anyway is something that God is confirming for you today. So, I would just like to invite you. If that's something that you're kind of sensing, we, um, there'll be a prayer team afterwards. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, that's what makes it a step of faith, right? If you knew everything, there'd be no faith involved. So, just love to invite you. Um, I also kind of felt there's maybe a couple of people here today. You're really struggling with a very big disappointment. Something has really just not worked out. And you've put your heart and soul into it. I just felt this real healing for you today. God would love to meet with you. Um, And then lastly, I had this picture in my head of a trampoline. Uh, Someone's been kind of bouncing on a trampoline. This is a metaphor, by the way. You were bouncing on the trampoline, just kind of, you know, boinky, boinky. That's how it goes. Uh, Just ridding yourself. And there's a sense of anticipation when you're doing that, where you're getting ready, where you really want to take a big old leap. There's something you've been dreaming of doing or launching or stepping into, and there's a sense of anticipation. You're just going, can I go now? Can I do it? I just felt God saying, yeah, why not? So if that's something that resonates with you, um, feel free to just take that away. But equally, we'd, we'd love to you know, pray for you afterwards and uh, pray with you. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.